Well, hey, what's up, Resonate Church family and any other friends tuning in and listening? Glad to have you here. My name is Jacob Dahl. I have the honor of leading our church here in Seattle. We are in a sermon series on the book of Colossians, looking at the six marks of Christian maturity. Every Sunday, we're going to look at one of these different marks, studying and learning what it means to live into a fruit-bearing life as disciples of Jesus. And so, what's cool about a lot of the New Testament is that it contains letters written to new and young and upcoming churches, helping them grow into the fullness of maturity in Christ. And so the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae is one of these letters. As we engage this letter, though it's a 2,000-year-old document, it has profound implications for the modern church to consider, especially ours here in Seattle, which is new and young and upcoming. So let's dive in together. All right, anybody have an epic story of getting lost in Seattle? It's happened to everybody. It's happened to all of us. So for me, my the first couple of months living in Seattle, I went across the Mont Lake Bridge on accident multiple times, the wrong lane, can't get over, I can't get back, I gotta go across the bridge, turn around. Uh, but more recently, um, I have been getting duped by the express lanes. Like getting on the express lane, going south, I missed, like, this happened to anybody else in the room tonight? So annoying. So the first time it happened, I'm driving, you know, I'm heading back south from, I think, Roosevelt, and I'm, I'm like, oh, cool, I see the sign for the express lane, great. Get home faster, right, is the, is the thought. Hop in the express lane, and you know how it goes, right? You're driving down the, street, down the freeway, and you're like, oh, I need, to ex- I need to exit now, and I can't. There's a giant, you know, medium barrier. I cannot get over to my exit, so you're waving at your exit as it goes back past you, and you're yelling at yourself, no, why? You can't turn around, you gotta cross the bridge, go into East Lake, maybe even Cap Hill if there's construction. Um, so the first time this happened to me, uh, I'm like, shame on you, Seattle. This is a bad system, shame on you. I should, it shouldn't be this way, right? Second time it happened, I'm like, shame on me. I should know better by now. This happened to me two times. The third time it happened, I'm like, Okay, what, there's something wrong with me. There's a, my brain is broken. What, why can't I ever remember the express lanes do not work heading south past my house? I miss the exit every time. Heading north, you can get off if it's right there uh, at my house on the 45th Street uh, exit. But I have been so angry, yelling it in my, in my car, at myself, at the world. Why? <laughs> why express lane tricked me again? So my, uh, my foolishness, in the express lanes has gotten me into all kinds of frustration and the wrong place in town. I thought it would be a great quick way to get home. Turns out it was an extra, extra 15 minutes to get back to my house. Um, but my foolishness uh, has proven to, to be a frustration to me. And in general, I think foolishness, if we aren't careful, if we aren't wise to the scenario we're in, can get us into trouble. Foolishness can lead us into the wrong, down the wrong track, the wrong way, the wrong road and can get us into all kinds of issues, um, can, uh, can miss out on the, the fullness of, I think, what God has designed for us to live in His world. So there is a high need, I think, in our day, in our city, in our lives for wisdom. To not be a foolish people trying to bumble our way through life in a very chaotic and confused world, going down the wrong way, the expressway look good, but it might actually shoot you past the destination God has for you. So I ran into this, this verse this last week 
in Proverbs 14, it says this, There's a way that seems right and reasonable, but in the end, it leads to darkness, even death. Sometimes there are some ways in life that, that seem right, seem reasonable, but the Bible says actually lead away from the right way, even into darkness and even perhaps death. God has made a way. God has made the right way for us to live. And he has made this way known to us in his word. <clears throat> in his word. But in this life, we will all encounter thousands of decisions, thousands of cross, crossroad moments that you can take multiple ways. And many of those ways might seem right and reasonable. They might be wise according to conventional standards. <clears throat> I get into a coughing fit tonight. I'm really sorry. I'm going to try my best to not, not cough myself to death here. <clears throat> there, are many, there are many ways which, that which look right and reasonable, but may not actually be <clears throat> God's way. And so I want to look tonight at what it means to be um, <clears throat> people that, that know God's way, know God's wisdom, and walk in that. So we're in the book of Colossians. <clears throat> looking at uh, six, six marks of Christian maturity. So what, what's it look like to be people of God that, that look at his word, study it, know it, and live by it? And as we do so, we live into six different marks Paul <clears throat> is outlining in this book about what it means to be mature believers, a mature church in Jesus. So last week we looked at the idea of gospel density, what it means to uh, to know the gospel, to begin with the gospel as a foundation. And it's not so much that you graduate on from that <coughs> and you move on to higher theological you know, things. You actually continue to press the gospel into your life more and more every square inch of your life, every day of your life. Tonight, we're looking at biblical wisdom or Heavenly wisdom or divine wisdom, I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably tonight. Biblical wisdom, what is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? What is wisdom according to God's word? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? Colossians chapter 2, uh, we'll start in verse, uh, verse 1. It'll be on the screen here behind me as well. But Paul, I think, introduces the idea here. We're going to unpack what this means for us tonight. <clears throat> Verse 1, Paul says, For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. <clears throat> so Paul 
introduces the idea here tonight, again, of this wisdom, a hidden wisdom in Christ. He says, in him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a profound statement, right? A profound statement, a profound claim that all the treasures of the universe, all the the wisdom and the knowledge of everything we know on planet Earth, the highest wisdom, all the wisdom, finds its source in Jesus. And in Jesus, if we have Jesus, we have all the wisdom in the world. This wisdom looks like knowing Jesus, walking in Jesus' words and Jesus' ways. And this wisdom, this biblical wisdom, is not exactly synonymous with the wisdom of the world, right? What the world says is good and right and true may not actually be the same as God's way, what he says is good and right and true, and vice versa. What God says is wise and true may not be recognized by the world as such. So the Bible makes a distinction, I think, between earthly wisdom worldly wisdom, and and heavenly wisdom. And that believers should not reject conventional wisdom, because conventional wisdom has a lot to teach us about how to be happy and healthy and wealthy people, how to uh, avoid debt, how to make money, how to negotiate good deals, how to find a compatible spouse, all great conventional wisdom, how to stay healthy, eat healthy. We live in a very healthy-minded city. Seattle loves to like promote health and wellness. Great, we should totally take that conventional wisdom, right? You should not reject the wisdom available to you. But this worldly conventional wisdom cannot teach you about how to attain life in the kingdom of God. The highest level of health and wellness in the world has nothing on life in the kingdom of God. Worldly wisdom cannot speak to eternal life. It cannot speak to our salvation. It cannot speak to what it means to know God's word and God's ways. This is a different kind of wisdom that, we, that I think is bestowed upon God's people who come in contact with Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you're receiving the word of God. It says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus is the manifestation. He is the word, the message of God to us. The wisdom of God is found in the person, in the work of Jesus. And Jesus, his words and his ways make us wise unto eternal life, not just the good life. You'll hear about how to be wise to the good life here with conventional wisdom, but only through the gospel, only through the Bible, only through Jesus are we made wise unto eternal life. Which means, again, if you're a Christian in the room, you know that this is not our home. This is not, this is not, our, not our, our eternal destination. Heaven is our eternal destination. We are, we are heading towards the kingdom of God. And so when we're in this world, we should pay attention to what the world has to say in a wisdom sense, but not in an ultimate sense. We heed a higher wisdom. We follow a higher word. On the pages of the Bible is where we begin to discover this divine wisdom, this biblical wisdom, what it means to know God and his word. So I want to look at why we need this wisdom, why this is so crucial for us to understand as a church. Number one, that this wisdom 
unlocks the full riches of our salvation. This wisdom unlocks that. So verse 2, Paul says, I'm praying for you that you may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. In Him, again, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's amazing about Christianity is that it's both simple enough for a child to understand and yet mysterious enough for an adult to never search out the riches of it your entire life. I've been reading through uh, a, a biography about Augustine, an ancient Christian writer, and he's just blown away at how simple and humble the gospel is, how simple and humble the Christian faith is. Yet again, you will spend your entire life studying the scriptures, worshiping God, growing in wisdom, and never come to the end of discovering the riches of the fullness of our salvation. My kids are six and four, and teaching them the basics of our faith. Just, you're, we're all sinful. We need Jesus. He forgives us, gives us grace, and we get to live in that forever. Very simple to understand. Yet also, you read through all the Bible, and you begin to discover and peel back layer upon layer what it means to know God, the depths of His love and His grace for us. We'll never reach the end of the fullness of the riches of the mystery of Christ. 10,000 years from now, in heaven, we'll still be discovering more and more riches of His wisdom, His grace, and His love for us. And so a child, though a child can understand and, and receive God's love and grace and be a Christian, I think, fails to understand the fullness of their salvation until they grow into it, right? So wisdom unlocks, as you grow and learn and mature, it unlocks the fullness of our salvation. So again, knowledge, last week we talked about how if we simply pursue knowledge for knowledge's sake or theology, the mastery of theology for that sake alone doesn't bring transformation. But when you do pair knowledge with a growing love for God, it unlocks the fullness of your faith and salvation to discover more of God's riches. Number two, Biblical wisdom, this heavenly wisdom given to us by God, brings an ordered strength to our faith. Verse 5, Paul says, But though I'm absent in the body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So, wisdom brings order. Wise people have an ordered life, and an ordered life is a free life, a fruitful life. Conversely, a foolish person, a foolish life, foolishness brings disorder. It brings chaos. It brings disorder. So when you're a kid, you, you kind of think that order and discipline is a buzzkill. You're like, man, come on, I don't want rules. I don't want to, I want to stay up late and do my own thing, right? But we know that the absence of order brings disorder, brings chaos, does not bring actually what you want, what you need in life. So wisdom brings order. And order brings strength. When your life is properly ordered according to God's word and God's ways, you have the, the spiritual and emotional margin, I think, to live a fruitful life. You have the margin, the time, the space to get the right sleep, to think accurately about the world around you, to make good decisions, 
that reflect your faith, when your life isn't ordered, you're, you're frantic, you're anxious, you're reactive, you're chaotic, and it brings mistakes. You're on the express lane heading in the wrong direction, getting lost, right? It weakens your faith. Disorder brings weakness. But wisdom, ordered wisdom, brings a strength to your faith. Your life and your faith can remain immature if you remain unwise and unordered in your life. So Paul is saying there's a connection between connecting into the wisdom of God and allowing that wisdom of God to order your life a certain way that you now have a fruit-bearing and strengthened faith. Number three, this wisdom helps guard us against deceit. Verse 8, Paul says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Sometimes philosophy is great. Sometimes there are human elements that are helpful to us. Other times they are at odds with the kingdom of God. They are at odds with the wisdom of God, or they are downright blatantly deceitful, leading you away from God. Right? This could be, again, um, in the Colossian church, Paul is, is talking about and, and speaking to um, some false teachers who were trying to convince the, the Colossian church to go back to some Jewish rituals and to um, some other people were worshiping angels and having to abstain from certain foods, otherwise they'd be ceremonially unclean. And these young, immature believers were being deceived to think they weren't really saved, when in fact they actually were. So Paul is saying, and reject that. And, and, and tap back into the wisdom you've been given by God and God's word, and let that wisdom bring awareness that you're being deceived. Wake your eyes up and realize what you're being led into. This is not a new thing. It's been happening since the very beginning of the church that the enemy will try to convince the church to believe a subtle half-truth, half-lie, not always blatant, to lead people into myths and falsehoods, right? This could be the culture. It could also be a cult. And we've met several students here on campus who were a part of a cult. And they talk about their, their story of being kind of lured into this thing. And at first, it kind of seemed kind of chill. It's fine reading the Bible. This seems, this checks out, right? But as time goes on, they realize, oh wait, this is just some different doctrine being taught here than what I'm used to, right? Like being, being taught that baptism saves you. Wait a minute, that's not what I read in the Bible. That's not what I was taught as a kid in my church. Like, so there are times when blatantly, overtly, there are going to be some people who come to you and say, hey, is that really what you believe? Because that's not quite the full truth. So in that moment, Paul is saying, man, don't be deceived. Like, know your Bible. Know the true wisdom. Know the true source of wisdom in Jesus. If anyone tries to convince you that all the riches of wisdom are not found in Jesus, be careful with that. Paul is saying, know the truth. Be transformed by it and guard your mind and your heart and your bodies and your lives against any falsehoods that you might encounter. And don't allow those to sneak into your life. So that's why we need wisdom. But how do we get wisdom? How do we be a people that gain wisdom and grow in wisdom? Number one, again, the source is through Christ. 
is the beginning place in him. Again, it's the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge is found in him. So if you are here tonight and don't yet know Jesus, I invite you to come to him right here, right now. To access the heavenly wisdom we're talking about begins with Jesus. Bowing your knee to him, giving your life to him and saying, God, would you come into my life and fill my life with your spirit and your wisdom. We have access to this wisdom through Christ, through the cross. Christ comes to earth, dies for us, raises again, and gives his spirit to those who call him Lord, those who call him Savior. And when you come into a saving relationship with Jesus, his spirit comes into your life and begins to transform you and begins to intercede for you and begins to lead you and guide you and protect you. Without that, you're on your own, your own conventional human wisdom. But with Christ, we have the very spirit of the living God living within us daily. So through Christ, through his work, through his word, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds day by day by day. You can't go to the store, like you can't like, you know, the, the, the idea of gaining wisdom is not a one-time deal. You can't go to the store and buy this like, product and now you have it. It's like, okay, yes, I have been given the Spirit of God. At, at conversion, I now have His presence within me, working powerfully to transform me. But I'm growing in this day by day. Every day, God's wisdom through Christ my relationship with him is helping me understand more and more of how his word should dictate and direct my life. The process that we grow into, we, we mature into. Secondly, we gain wisdom through confession. Through confession. In, in this, we confess our weakness, our inability, our foolishness to God, that we do not have enough wisdom on our own to navigate this life. We need God's wisdom. We are not able to navigate life on earth nor inherit eternal life to come without God's help. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. So it's saying if we confess that we need God, we lean on His wisdom, on His ways, on His word, and not our own. The promise is that He will make our paths straight. He will lead us. He will guide us if we follow Him. So mature believers are ones who say, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. I'm going to reject, I'm going to give up control, give up my own thing, and allow God to lead me. And they willingly admit they don't know what's best for their own life, but that God does. We might think that the opposite is true, that mature believers know what to do. And in some ways, they do, other ways they don't. Like, I know more how to live my life in a healthy way than my kids do, right? But I'm just as, like, needy for God to love me and serve me and direct me as they are. Just as needy. So mature believers don't have all the answers. They simply have learned to give up control and let God lead their life. We don't lean on our own understanding, but on God's understanding. So we gain wisdom through Christ as the source. We gain wisdom through confession, our need for God, and through community. 
through community. Paul says in verse 2, I want your hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. So the phrase joined together in love. There's a connection between being joined together and wisdom being a collective thing. Wisdom is found not only in God's word, but also found collectively as we all are foolish at times. We all have blind spots. We all get lost, take the wrong turn, and think we haven't made the wrong turn. We think, no, I'm doing, doing okay. This might be the right, the right way. And somebody else is like, no, nah, dude, you're super lost. That's not the right way. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the right way. I'm like, no, I think it might be the right way. No, no, trust me, bro. It's not the right way. We all need somebody. We all need each other to tell us when we're off. Hey, man, I know you might think the expressway is the way. I'm here to tell you, I've done it three times. It's not the way, not the way right? We need the collective wisdom in the room. We need all of us to be in God's word, experiencing God's wisdom daily, so that when each of us inevitably gets foolish, and, and believes something untrue or takes a wrong turn, we have someone next to us saying, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I want, I want to ask you some questions about this. I'm concerned. Or I have some, 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 some questions for you in that. Pursuing wisdom is always best done together. I want to tell a personal story to kind of help illustrate and end on this note. But how many of you guys know what uh, chat GPT is? Anybody? It's the hot new thing, right? If you're, in, if you're in school, it's like, hey, what's the ethics of this thing? Is this thing like cool to use, not cool to use? When's it cool to use? Uh, so I'm in seminary right now, personally, taking a class on the Old Testament. And I uh, came downstairs one day to talk to my wife, Jess, about the ethics of using ChatGPT in school. When's it okay to use? When's, wh- wh- how's it different than using Google? So, for example, I have a study guide. 200 questions, so I get to answer the study guide for my final exam for my seminary class. And uh, I have to answer every question, and then I have to study the questions and then be tested on these questions, right? So I'm like, I gotta, what's the difference between, you know, looking up in a textbook the answers to these questions, or Googling the questions, or using chat GPT, this AI software, you know? And so I was kind of bantering, trying to joke with her, like, hey, you know, go with me here in this ethical dilemma. I thought she would kind of be like, yeah, you know, I don't know, it's, it's a weird time, you know, it's changing education and everything. And I was like, what I got instead was, well, you know what, uh, I've been reading the Old Testament. Uh, I've been reading Chronicles. And let me tell you, God don't play. God, God does not uh, play with those who take shortcuts. God is not a fan of shortcuts. And he has some pretty heavy-handed repercussions for those who take shortcuts. So you just think about that when you're doing your chat GPT for seven I was like, dang, okay, I, I just got like rebuked like by my wife. Um, I came downstairs for a joking banter, but I got like rebuked, like, wow. But in the moment I was like, dang, she's, she's so right. Like, how could I ever think, like I, I wasn't gonna do this, but I was just kind of testing myself testing her a little bit, and I was like, dude, she is so right. Like, it's never, it's never worth it to shortcut things. But God has laid out as the good and right way. If, if there's a gray area, and I'm like, I could shortcut my way to something, express lane my way to something, 
God's like, nah, dude, not like that. I have a different way, a different way. In that moment, I was so thankful. Like I thought about like the overwhelming, uh, Paul talks about in verse 6, that those who walk in this wisdom, this way, would be overflowing with gratitude. Did you understand the treasure of the riches of knowing the wisdom of God? I, in a moment, just realized, man, I'm so thankful. Like living into God's way. Sometimes it's harder. It takes longer to get what I want to do like done or obeying God is not as fun sometimes as like doing my own thing. But in the end, it is always a better way to live. No matter how right and reasonable the other way might look, it's unwise to heed the conventional wisdom above God's wisdom. Tonight, I want to ask the question to you guys too. Are you living and walking and making your life, your way in this world, according to God's wisdom or according to your own wisdom or the conventional wisdom of the world? What voices are you listening to? What metrics, what success things are you looking at to measure your life against? Are you looking at the kingdom of God or this world to define what a wise and fruitful life looks like? Following Jesus is hard, but it's always better. It's never foolish to follow him. It may appear foolish to the world, but for us, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. Let's pray. God, tonight we, uh, we love you and confess that we have a great need for you. God, we do not want to lean on our own understanding, though we want to, God. We want to have the answers. We want to go our own way. But God, tonight we want to just pause and confess that we do not have all the answers. We have no idea what even an hour from now looks like. We have no idea what tomorrow holds, but you do. So God, we confess our foolishness to you that we have done things our own way. We have gone our own way and we have just reaped the repercussions of that, whether it's brokenness or it's sin or it's shame or whatever, God. So I pray tonight, God, at first you would just forgive us for our sin, forgive us for our own pride, our own way of doing things. Heal us in that, God. Would you forgive us in that? We already know how busted up and broken we are in our own wisdom. So would you heal us in that, bind us up in that, redeem us, God, and remind us that your way and your word and your wisdom is the way we should follow, the way that leads to life, to eternal life, God. So would you give us minds tonight that are filled with your wisdom? Remind us that Christ is the source of all the riches of wisdom and knowledge, that we should pursue him, get into our Bibles tomorrow morning and soak up the word of God into our hearts and minds. May that transform us, God, and allow us to see the world differently from your point of view, not from our own, God. We're forgetful. God, often we forget your word, so remind us that this is a team effort. We're called to, to bear burdens together, to speak truth to each other. So would you give us a word tonight for each other? Would you help us encourage each other tonight? May your word 
In your wisdom, guide us and protect us and lead us, we pray, Christ Jesus, in your name. Amen.